This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. At the bottom of this hour, we'll turn our attention to the NBA. Ian Begley, SNY, NBA Insider, also uh, has the Putback uh, Podcast, who does a tremendous job with that. Uh, he will join us, and we'll talk a little Knicks and Nets and maybe a little conference finals as well. Uh, we'll do that with him. We've got a couple of minutes to check some of your phone calls at 1-800-919-3776. I'll say this. Uh, right now, nice outing for Luis Severino if you're a Yankee fan. This is, um, as we were talking during the break, this is April for him. And for him to, because he really didn't give up a run. Okay, so he really, they they got a run, but it's really not a run. It should have been a run. So he pitched shot out baseball, really. And he did a nice job. And fastball looked good. He, you know, had movement. So that's good. So now the next question is, over the next couple of days, does he feel any lingering issues? Is he healthy? Does he feel soreness or something? Well, he's going to have some soreness, but did he feel anything going back to the injury? So the next couple of days, this is good, but now you hold your breath if you're a Yankee fan to see what, how, how he feels over the next couple of days. In a couple of minutes, the Mets will kick off their day-night doubleheader because of the rain out yesterday against the Cleveland Guardians. In the first game, Matt Scherzer will pitch for the Yankees tonight in uh, Sunday Night Baseball on ESPN. You can watch uh, Justin Verlander pitch for the Mets tonight. So the Mets have two three-time Cy Young Award winners pitching in their day-night doublehead. And, of course, we'll keep you updated on what's going on in the first game with the Mets and the day game with uh, Cincinnati that the Yankees are leading by the score of 3-1 as the Reds bat in the bottom of the sixth. Got a couple of phone calls. Let's go to them. 1-800-919-3776. Craig and Lansing. Craig, you're next on 98.7. Hey, yeah. um, You know, I don't want to rain on people's parade, but I I just keep on looking at the Jets. And I'm not seeing how taking a guy that didn't get his team to the playoffs and putting him on a team that couldn't get to the playoffs is going to get a team to the playoffs. I mean, you got two teams, the Packers. Eight and nine Jets, seven and ten, and they didn't do anything else. They put everything in that basket. I mean, I know that they got Garrett Wilson, but yet he doesn't have Jamar Chase or Justin Jefferson rookie numbers. I mean, I know they got you know Brees Hall, but he's coming off of ACL. So let's look what they did. They got Randall Cobb, Lazard, and Mercedes Lewis. And tell me who's getting excited when I keep going? Tim Boyle, Wes Schweitzer was actually their best pickup, a very versatile offensive lineman. But when you look at what they have, um, and, and you're talking about a 7-10 and 10 team, and, and, you know, the division games, let's, let's not write off Bill Belichick just yet. I mean, do, you think this guy's not going to coach his ass off and win some games this year that he's not supposed to win? Some, one of those games could be against the Jets. I just think they got a tough road to go, and even if they flip it from 7-10 and 10 and go 10-7, and 7, that's, that's good, but that's not so what Craig, they want. let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, Craig. As bad as Aaron Rodgers was last year, you say he was bad? Would you say he was bad last 20, year? Tw- 26 and 12, and he threw okay. 3,600 yards. That's not bad, but that's how many, average. How many yards did Zach Wilson throw for the Jets? I don't know how many yards he threw, but I know that that's not who you want as your backup quarterback either, by the way. Well, I know exactly. That he- I, I got it, but that's what – see, so for the Jets, that's what they're thinking. That even, well, you- a, even a bad year – Aaron Rodgers gives them a better opportunity to get to the postseason than what they had with Zach Wilson. And when you look and see how the Jets performed in the games that they lost, 
in a number of those games, they were one-score games, Craig, that even that even a bad quarterback in the National Football League with any kind of decent quarterback play, they could have won more of those games. So, so, so that is their logic. So that's their logic, and that's why they believe that Aaron Rodgers is going to take them to the next level. Now, listen, I'm with you in the sense that it doesn't guarantee them anything. But that's their thought process is that with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, if our defense takes that next step, which we're hoping they can take, if our offensive line continues to play to get better and we've got a more, hopefully more depth in the offensive line, they should get better. If Brees Hall comes back and is, gives us anything that we can have to take that well, next at least level. Well, at least they got good running back, Jeff, even if he doesn't you know? come back strong. They do have good depth right. at running so, back. So, so in a sense, Craig, thanks for the phone call. You and I, we, we kind of agree, but the jet process is for them. When they went out and put all their eggs in the Aaron Rodgers basket, their thought process was, tag, if we had any kind of decent quarterback play last year, any any, we would have been ten and seven. <laughs> I mean, remember before going before going on that losing streak. What were they seven and three? They lost seven straight. They were seven and three with with arguably not great quarterback play. And Zach Wilson threw what sixteen hundred eighty eight yards. Come on. So, Craig, that's the thought process now. Does it guarantee that they're going to win anything? Absolutely not. It doesn't guarantee a thing. But that's but that's what Jet fans are thinking about. At least they have a shot. And that's for them, that's all they want is an opportunity. Because when was the last time the Jets had were going into a season where they said, Man, you know what? We got a quarterback that we can we can win with. Brett Favre? Chad Pennington? Vinny? Testaverde? I mean, let's be honest. In the quarterback carousel, the Jets have not have not been great. And they've picked two bad ones back to back. So that's why they believe that they can do something this time. Is it going to be easy? Absolutely not. They got a lot of work to do. They have a lot of work to do. But once again, because of what they've done by bringing Aaron Rodgers here, because of how they have looked at their defense and have brought it up to respectable, okay? And it has to improve, okay? There's no question. It has to improve where they have to cut down on the mistakes. They still need a run stopper. Okay, I would still be, I'd still feel a lot better if they had somebody that could clog up the middle. And so then you could turn guys loose on second and third and long because you know that they're not going to be able to, you know, make a quick, to, to, to you know, get first downs on short yardage, which has been the issue. The reason why the Jets have, the reason why the Jets running game has been so bad is because first down when teams run, they get like five, six yards a carry. And then you want to try to stop them? They got two downs to get three or four yards. <laughs> well, guess what? That's tough for any defense. 
So that's that's where they need to take that next step. And until they get that done, the defense is not going to be as good as it could be. Got to get a run stopper in there. All right, got to. Pass rush has been pretty good. Quentin Williams has been outstanding. Secondary is getting better. Listen, secondary was very good. Sauce Gardner was excellent job. Defensive player of the year. As a rookie, he was great. But clearly, you hope that he's in the lab right now because people have dissected how he plays and defends, and they're going to attack him. And he's going to have to make the adjustment to the adjustments that they've made to him. So no, from from a from a, a, a talent standpoint, this team should be better. They have to be, because they have traded draft choices and go have gone all in on the quarterback that they they hope to have for two years, and they definitely know they have for one. And after that, guess what? They're still going to need a quarterback. 1-800-919-3776. More calls next on 9870 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. So let me give you my thoughts on the Knicks as they have ended uh, their season. And it was, look, was it disappointing to see them go out against Miami the way they did? Absolutely. Was it a disappointing season? No, it was not. It was a positive season. You saw the team make steps into the right, going into the right direction. You saw the younger players get better. You saw, uh, obviously, your free agent pickup was tremendous in Jalen Brunson. He's proven that he could not only play uh, on this team, but he handled New York perfectly. So that turned out well. The acquisition of Josh Hart at the trade deadline, tremendous. So you give the front office kudos for that. So overall, overall, it was a successful season. Disappointed the way it ended, successful season. And to see Miami still playing against a Boston team that you beat a couple times this season, you can only hope and, and dream and wonder what it could have been. Nevertheless, the Nick front office has some work to do, and they have some decisions to make. And one of the decisions they have to make is this. Can this team be, continue to be successful being a predominantly ISO team? Julius Randle is an ISO player. R.J. Barrett's an ISO player. Jalen Brunson is an ISO player. Now, Brunson can pass the ball. Randall can pass the ball. And Barrett can pass the ball. But they are predominantly ISO players. And so the question becomes, when you look at how teams who are still in the playoffs, for the most part, have been a success, and you look at Miami and you say, man, you know, Jimmy Butler's been, he's been, playoff Jimmy is great. Or Jimmy freaking Butler, all the nicknames that he's getting. 
because once again he's put he's taking this Miami team on this run because he's not really an ISO player. Now, can he take over and be efficient in key moments of games? Yeah, he can. But they don't rely on him to be an ISO player. And when you think about it, we looked at the Knicks and they were they were kind of an ISO team during the regular season in the sense that, you know, when you look at the league averages at assists, they're not in the top 10, they're not in the top 15, they're probably not in the top 20. Because you, you give the ball to Julius Randle, you let him go down in the paint or, you know, he hits the three or, you know, his game and 25 and 10 that he averaged for you this season in the regular season, you know, was great. Jalen Brunson had, and the thing that you, that really respected about his game, Jalen Brunson, is the amount of times that he handled the ball, his turnover rate was magnificent. He very rarely turned the ball over. And R.J. Barrett had some turnover issues and some other issues of inconsistent play. So the Knicks front office has to make a decision. Can this team, go where they need to go by just playing predominantly ISO ball? That's the first question they have to decide. The next question is, what changes do they have to make without interrupting chemistry? All right, and that's an intriguing question because we talk a lot about talent, right? We talk a lot about Talent wins in, in sports and, you know, great great talent. you got to have talent to win, and you do. But sometimes teams beat great, talented players, okay? And we can debate going back and forth whether Miami is more talented than the Knicks. But there's no debate that Miami has a better – Miami operates as a team better than the Knicks. Offensively and defensively. It's because of the system they have in Miami. It's because of their coach. It's because of a lot of things there. And so, once again, and I get it. I get we always have this conversation about what are we going to do with Julius Randle? We'll move him. I'll drive him to the airport. I'll do this. I'll do that. And at times, I share those sentiments. But it still remains 25 and 10 is important in the NBA. How are you going to replace that 25 and 10 on this Nick team when you move? And what would you have to give up if you decided you want to take that next step and move on? What are you going to have to give up to get that replacement 25 and 10? Okay? We know what the Knicks need. We know that the Knicks need a 3D, a 3D guy. A guy that's got, you know, a wing presence, 6'8", six, 6'9", six, athletic, can hit the three, can play good defense. Everybody needs a player like that. The Knicks definitely need a player like that. And now you have to take a really good look at this Nick bench. Okay? And we have to find out why Emmanuel quickly seemed almost apprehensive, uh, was not the same player during the regular season 
that he wasn't the same player in the playoffs that he was in the regular season. Something happened. Maybe he wasn't healthy. I don't know. But they—they just—he just wasn't the same person. And they were able to get by that in the opening series against Cleveland, because really Cleveland wasn't ready. The Knicks were more physical. The Knicks dominated them. So you you were able to get by without consistent help from your bench. But something happened with Emmanuel quickly, so that's got to be examined. Um, Obi Toppin, we have to make a decision on him. Um, he showed a lot. He showed potential. He gave you some really good moments in the postseason. But he's got to be he's got to be more than just a, a three point shooter or dunk guy for him to be to for him to get playing time and to improve. He shows flashes. There's no question. He has talent. But defensively, he is a he is he can be a nightmare. And so, once again, looking postseason, regular season, okay, you get by with stuff like that. You can get by. You can get by with things. You can get by with not having a certain style of play. You can get by with not having that person. But ultimately, what is it about? It's about getting to the postseason and going deep into the playoffs. And when you looked at the Knicks compared to Miami. There were times in that series where the Knicks looked like they didn't belong on the same court with Miami. To be honest, they just did. Lack of, uh, lack of conversation, communication on defense, uh, standing around looking while Brunson's getting double teamed or Randall's getting double teamed, no movement, no angles, to get the ball, there were a lot of things that really when you look back at this Nick team, you realize, hey, they they had a successful season and they're making strides. But they're still a little short. They're still a little short. And I know I've seen various trades. I've seen folks have reached out to me about some, some trades that they would like, you know, and they're interesting. They are interesting, and I think they would make the team better. But the ultimate question is, how does this Nick front office, okay, uh, you know, how do they see this team? And do they see this team as, well, if we had a healthy Randall and a healthy Brunson, we could have gone deeper into the postseason. We had a healthy Randall, a healthy Brunson. Emmanuel quickly was hurt. We lost him in the, in the series. If we had those guys, it could have been different. Or do they say, you know what? We had this guy. We lost those guys, but the folks we had, they didn't step up for us. So what do we need? Who do we need to add to this mix? So if something like that happens again, we have better depth and better talent coming off our bench. Those are the issues that the Nick front office has to deal with this season. When we return, we'll put some of those questions to Ian Begley. He is the NBA insider for SNY. We'll do that next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. Turn our attention to the Knicks and the Nets and the NBA. For that, we turn to my good friend, NBA insider for SNY, Starve the Putback, also on SNY.TV. He is Ian Begley. Hey, Ian Begley, what's happening? 
Larry, what's up, man? How are you? I'm doing great, my friend. I'm doing great. So, Ian, you know when I have Nick questions, I come to you. And hey, I've got I'll, a bunch. I'll try to answer it, Larry. I'll do my best. <laughs> I, as you always do. As you always do. Ian, g- give me your best guess as to how the Nick front office is going to address this team going forward. Do they address the team as, hey, listen, we had, we've got to the second round against the Miami team that could end up in the finals. And we had injuries. We had, didn't have a healthy Julius Randle going in, didn't have a healthy Jalen Brunson going in, didn't have a healthy Emmanuel quickly going in, had a compromised Josh Hart. And so we're okay. We don't need to do much. Or do they say, man, there were times when we looked against Miami. They are such a better team in the sense of their approach and not so much iso ball that we may have to readjust our thinking. If you, your best guess how do you think this Nick front office looks at the changes they have to make? Well, my best guess, it has a little bit to do with the Miami series, but more so with this new collective bargaining agreement. Uh, I think my best guess is that the Knicks will at least seriously consider making a big trade here because there's a year grace period right now uh, for when that next collective bargaining agreement kicks in. And once it kicks in, uh, your colleague, Bobby Marks, NBA front office insider, it told me that it's much more difficult to make a big trade, to move salary around. Um, there's a there's different penalties, there's different different machinations in the new CBA that make it tougher. That's why I think the Knicks at least will you know look into their options into making a big trade just because of that new CBA. Now, how do they view the Miami series? I I have to think that they look at that and they say. Look, we were glad. I think we outperformed outside expectations, but maybe that tells them that they need more shooting, uh, which I think that they do. And because, you know, if they knock some shots down, it's a different series. And I think, obviously, that the the goal for every team that doesn't have one is to get a big athletic wing that can defend and give you something on offense. So I, I would assume that those two things – not that they needed to become clear, but I think they became more clear in that Heat series. And can this Nick team continue to be a predominantly iso ball offense with their starters predominantly and be able to win? I mean, once again, just using Miami as an example, um, they're not iso ball. I mean, I mean, I mean, they play ten guys in the postseason where most teams cut down to seven or eight. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, it's. It's really remarkable what they're doing. Um, but I would say, Larry, that if the roster next year includes Jalen Brunson and includes Julius Randle, those guys thrive in isolation. And I think that – so I don't think that it would decrease that much uh, if you look at the numbers. But I would say this, if the Knicks add some shooting and maybe you put that shooter in a lineup with Brunson and Randle – those guys can attract attention on their own and create open looks on the perimeter. So uh, improving the shooting overall, I think, would help with that offense, even when Brunson and Randall are isolating, because they've both shown that they can find that open shooter on the second side of the floor, out of the trap, out of the double team. Ian, are we being unfair to Julius Randall as to his production in the postseason? Is it because he's getting more attention? Is it because... He uh, just had a tough shooting situation. But, you know, 
more so, I think this postseason, we were you're almost more disappointed in his performance this postseason than against Atlanta because, you know, you had Jalen Brunson really, you know, being the almost the number one guy, right? Where he was the number one guy on that team against that went that lost against Atlanta, and he was not able to perform. Are we looking at him? Are we being unfair to judge him as a a, a struggling postseason player? Now, look, I, I'm never going to tell anybody what to think, but I would just say this on Julius Randle. Uh, if you're looking to for the Knicks to trade him, that trade, to me, has to bring back, whether it's one player or in aggregate, something around 25 points and 10 rebounds a night, and that's that's not easy. Now, in terms of judging Julius Randle's postseason, like I thought that he, he, he gave it his all to get back for game one of that Cleveland series. And then if you look at the amount of time that he missed between that second second ankle sprain, which was the same left ankle, and coming back uh, in that next series, he came back quickly. So he's not going to say how much his ankle impacted him. I asked him several times. He doesn't want to use it as, as an excuse. I would think it impacted him some. Where I, I don't have an answer on Julius Reno is this. You saw him at times, you know, flying around, going 100% on defense, rotating out to shooters, um, and just really helping the Knicks team defense-wise. You saw that over the course of the postseason. There were other times you saw him standing around, not rotating out. And whether it was his assignment to be in that spot or not, it seemed to end up with an open shot from the opposition. He just he didn't seem to be playing with that same amount of energy. I don't know why that was. That one confounds me. And so I can understand why Nick fans are upset there. But if you really dig into it, I think he moved the ball pretty well, didn't shoot it great, but didn't. I don't think he shot the Knicks out of any games. Obviously, if he makes some more shots or if R.J. Barrett makes some more shots in that game six in Miami, you're probably getting a game seven in New York. No doubt about it. Ian Begley's my guest, SNY NBA Insider, also host of the putback on SNY.TV. So, Ian, let's talk about R.J. Barrett because here's a guy that had man, talk about having a roller coaster regular season. He had a roller coaster regular season, but he wasn't bad mm-hmm. in the postseason, Ian, especially this series against Miami. I thought, yeah, he look. Did he play great? No, but he played better, more consistently in the, in the Miami series and the end of the Cleveland series than he did going forward. What 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 can we what can we expect from R.J. Barrett next season? I'll just say this, Larry. I mean, you know this town. Uh, you know it in all sports, obviously basketball too. He played poorly. He shot poorly in those first two games against Cleveland. And there was a lot of noise about uh, RJ can't play in the playoffs. Should he even be in the rotation? What does Tom Thibodeau have to do? Uh, there's an RJ problem. And then he came back in game three of that Cavs series at home. He was phenomenal. And he had a great run up until game six against Miami where he didn't play that well. But he showed you, I think, that he can fight through adversity and he can get himself out of a mini shooting slump and in the biggest stage. Um, so I, that shows you a lot to me about R.J. Barrett. Now, in terms of, you know, whenever you talk about a big trade, significant trade with this team, if it's going to happen, it's going to be including either R.J. Barrett or Julius Randle because you're not going to bring in another player who needs the ball on offense or who's going to take a bunch of shots and have both Randall, Barrett, and Jalen Brunson. So that's kind of a, more of a big-picture thing. But I thought R.J. Barrett gave you winning plays, winning play on both ends of the floor in the postseason. 
you have to be nothing but encouraged by that. Ian Begley's my guest. Ian, let's talk a little bit about the Nets, shall we? Um, they they were kind of they were kind of surprising in a sense, and I'll give uh, I, I'll give the GM credit because considering mm. what considering how they had to make the trade for Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, what they were able to secure coming back was pretty good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. To the point yes. that it got them, you know, into the postseason. So, I mean, where did they go from here? Do do they? I mean, Mikael Bridges and and Cam Johnson, you know, the Knicks the Knicks would kill for those two players coming off the bench right now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bridges. Yeah, both of those guys are fantastic. Oh, they're fabulous. And I think for me, I'm looking at Portland and I'm looking at Houston because they both landed top five picks in the draft. Houston, I know people, you know, at the top, near the top of that organization, they're done with tanking. They want to start winning games. So that tells me that Houston would at least entertain offers for that number five pick. And I think same with Portland. Portland, they could either trade Damian Lillard or they could use the three pick and something else to bring in a solid player. So I would just, I would be in touch. Obviously, I'm sure the Nets will be in touch with those teams, but I would explore the opportunities there. And then there there should be some consolidation, I would think, because you have a lot of wing players on that team. And so there's some overlap and there's an opportunity to add something to your trade. They have, um, obviously they have some of their draft picks they got back in that Harden trade. And so in the Harden to Philadelphia trade. And so you're, you're looking at that and you're also hoping that Ben Simmons can come back and just be, Consistent. He doesn't have to be Ben Simmons uh, 2017. Just be consistent in being on the floor, being available, and contributing. Because if he's contributing to you winning games, that's a plus. If he's contributing and other teams see him uh, at a higher value than they did last year, that's a plus because then you can potentially trade him. So I think those are the things the Nets, some of the things, things the Nets are looking at going into this offseason. And that's a tough situation because they have to look. I mean, how how confident can they be that they'll get anything from Ben Simmons, Ian? I mean, you know, and and then the other thing yeah. is, what can you get yeah. for him? <laughs> that's the right. other problem. I think the expectation has to be, you know, not much, and then maybe pleasantly surprise you because you know I have heard talking to his agent Bernie Lee that they feel that they have you know their finger on something that they've. They uh, found something out here that they think can help get them back on the floor uh, consistently. And, you know, they're hopeful that that'll be the case. Off-season work goes well, and he's ready for training camp. We'll see, right? We'll see. But that's that's something to watch both as Ben could help the Nets or as Ben could increase his trade value and the Nets then uh, move him for whatever they can get back. So just bears watching because such a big – uh, salary player, and you need to get something from him uh, to make it work. It's not going to work, but to make it work in a small degree. Uh, but to, with the Nets, I mean, you, we talked about the good moves. One thing that maybe they're regretting right now, you're watching Bruce Brown mm. with Denver having a great, great series against the Lakers, impacting winning on both ends of the floor. He said that the Nets didn't even talk to him when he was uh, entering free agency 
and I guess they just let him go. And that's just that's a little surprising because he can help you win games as he's showing in this conference final. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's been the difference maker. He really has. And and you expect that from him defensively, Ian, but not so much offensively. He's improved offensively. Yeah, he's making shots. And he'll he'll be good for, you know, two or three offensive rebounds, sneaking in there, maybe a putback or two, uh, hustle plays, and he can knock the shot down for the perimeter, which I guess he wasn't doing consistently throughout his Nets tenure. But, you know, uh, he worked on it, and I think he was hitting it at a higher clip later in his Nets tenure. And here he is doing it in the playoffs. So good for Bruce Brown. Credit to him. And a couple more for you. Not that we're taking anything away from Miami because Lord knows Jimmy Butler has been phenomenal. It's not the first time he's done it with this Miami Heat team. They're always in the mix, okay? Spolster does a tremendous job coaching them. They've got a great winning track record there. Mm-hmm. But Ian, something is missing in Boston. This team, once again, mm-hmm. is in the position that, you know, they've been up and down all year. You wonder, can Tatum and Brown play together? There was, uh, you know, some reports of Brown being traded. As a matter of fact, to the Nets. Uh, what is going on with this Boston Celtic team? It's real. I mean, Larry, just the big picture, you hit on it. What do they do here if it doesn't, if they don't get through Miami, right? Uh, if they lose in, in to Miami in embarrassing fashion, in four or five games, whatever, you have to look, I think, at your ownership and you say, we have to pay or we could pay Jason Tatum, you know, 200 plus million. We could pay Jalen Brown 200 plus million. Have they shown us enough as a duo to invest that kind of money in these guys in a way that we're fully married to them for the next you know, X amount of years? And if the answer is no, then what do you do? You probably look to trade Jalen Brown and you see what the market is. But, you know, it depends on how this thing shakes out. Uh, but if, you know, Boston loses in a short series, it's going to be some difficult questions asked by ownership and that ownership has to answer for the future of the core of that club. And look, Joe Mazzula, you know, I'm not watching them every day, right? But you just look at the way they played and defended under Inadoka and the way they're playing and defending under Joe Mazzula, it's just it's not the same. I don't think it's fair to put it all on Joe Mazzula, but I think there's a factor there where this team slipped a little bit because of the head coaching situation. Yep, there's no doubt about that. And I guess unless LeBron can work a miracle, uh, Ian Denver finally gets to the NBA Finals. My goodness, man. And in, in a not great night from Nikola Jokic, they go and win on the road. It's just really, really impressive, the depth of that team. Jamal Murray was so good in the first half. And, uh, yeah, it's it's surprising that the Lakers, they're going to go out meekly, it looks like, unless they make NBA history. Uh, so Denver advancing and just such a strong team. Again, Jokic, you didn't get his best, and you still won pretty handily. I mean, Contavious Caldwell Pope was great, and they just, yeah, they keep coming at you. Credit to the Nuggets, and uh, and hopefully we get an entertaining finals, whether it's Boston or Miami against Denver. It should be. So, Ian, what you got cooking on the putback, my friend? You know what? We we wrapped up the season last week on the putback, and we're taking a little hiatus, but we will be back with you guys uh, pre-draft the week before the draft to get into what the Knicks maybe are looking at, what other teams are looking at in, that, in those few days before the draft where there's a potential for a big trade. So we, we will be back then. But, Larry, I love talking hoops with you, man. Happy to jump on any time, and thank you for having me. 
Well, I appreciate it. And we, we got our eye on the putback, my friend, on SNY.TV. Ian, thanks for a couple of minutes. Regards to the family. Thanks much, Larry. Take care. All right. You take care. Ian Begley of SNY, SNY's NBA Insider. All right. What did you think about what Ian had to say about the Knicks and the Nets? Give me your thoughts. 1-800-919-3776. We'll take your calls next on 98.7 ESPN. This is the Larry Hardesty Show on 98.7 ESPN. 1-800-919-3776. Taking your phone calls on the Larry Hardesty Show here on a Sunday. Let's go to the phones. Jose is in Brooklyn. Jose, you are next on 98.7. Hey, good afternoon, Larry. Happy anniversary and welcome back. And I just wanted to talk to you about the Knicks. How's everything going? Everything is going great, Jose. Thank you very much for the kind words. What do you have for me today? What, what do you think? Uh, all right. So I just wanted to go in there. And the one thing I've always respected about you and really love calling in as an everyday caller on your show, especially, is that you never try to gaslight me or have me put on clown makeup to, you know, fit the takes that, you know, don't make sense. Like, you know, last year where everybody was going crazy with, you know, Zach Wilson with the Jets and and every jet, sensible Jet fan kept calling up and saying, why does the offensive drive look better without him? Mm-hmm. And you never argued with us. You never tried to make us look like we're fools or tried to say we're clowns or, you know, say how dare we, you know, make up these assumptions. So, uh, you know, to my next point, and it kind of goes hand in hand. You know, I, what, do, I, do, do I understand that there has to be a replacement for the 25, 10, and 4 that Julius Randle gives? Of course. But is it really out of the question to say, okay, if the guy we get back, he doesn't give us 24, 10, and 4, but he gives us at least 18 and 8, and Brunson or Barrett get the other, get the other two rebounds, and Quentin Grimes, Barrett, and Brunson improve their scoring to a point where they approximate that loss. Is it really that I, 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 out of out of the thinking of me thinking that as a Nick fan, no. Okay, so I just wanted to you know say that because you know there there are you know flexible trades that we can be able to do if we are open minded enough to you know see that the the the, the stats are, are are inflated stats you know in the regular season because we saw Luca almost because you know be in the MVP conversation and who, who was the missing piece oh wait that's right we have him it's called Jalen Brunson on the New York Knicks so so that's kind of you know the point that I wanted to make I don't think that this team is going to be able to go far with a you know isolation shout out to Ty Butler again because he he tried to have me convinced that isolation basketball is the only way to win and we're kind of seeing that's not working with Denver and Jokic and that ball movement and with Miami and the ball movement being moved there as well. So uh, that that was just my point for the day. I thank you so much for taking my call. I'm a person that believes in old school Nick basketball. I don't believe in the superstar talk. I believe in ball movement. I believe in moving the ball with the way it did with Clyde, Pearl Monroe, and how my grandfather used to tell me how the ball mm. moved. And so that's kind of you know that that's kind of where I come from. I hear you, Jose, and and thanks for the phone call and the kind words. And the other thing I think that. Look, you, you play – no, I'm not going to say you play to win the game. Stop. You have to play based on what your team has. So I don't think that you can only play – I don't think you only play iso ball. 
you play iso ball because that is the strength of your team. There are plenty of teams who move the basketball around the NBA and are and are efficient. I mean, how do you think Golden State was able to win those championships? Well, they were able to win those championships because, A, they have what Ian Begley was talking about. They have shot makers. They've got several shot makers. <laughs> you know, Steph Curry is a shot maker. Klay Thompson is a shot maker. You know, they got, they've got the pool. They, they've got guys who are shot makers on that team. So when you look at the, the classic um, Golden State play, Golden State team that had the runs that were championship teams, their ball movement, the way they were able to cut and slash, the way they were able to, uh, you know, uh, move the basketball, just the fact that the ball movement and the player movement, it was huge. And that's why they've been successful. Now, the Knicks don't have those kind of shooters. Okay, Quentin Grimes, you thought might be that guy, but what you're finding out is, and it's fair, as he, the more you ask him to defend, it looks like it compromises his jumper a little bit. So you may have to make some adjustments on him. You love his talent, you love his ability, his foot movement to be able to defend even taller players. But sometimes, you know, that wear and tear of just trying to do that and then ask him to score too, uh, it might not be, you know, you may have to make some adjustments there. So I do think that, listen, and Begley mentioned it, with the delay in the contract for next season, to the season after next, rather, the Knicks will probably be able to make a huge trade. And so what they're looking at is, of course, if they're going to move Randall. If, if, or whomever they move, they want to get equal or more value to bring back in the deal. So even if they get two guys, one gives you 17 and one gives you eight. One gives you less, re one gives you more scoring, the other one gives you more rebounding. All right. Maybe that's the, maybe that's the way they look at it. I mean, there was a trade I saw online for um, uh, Cat out of Minnesota, right? Carl Anthony Towns and Torian Prince. And clearly, Torian Prince is going to be the guy to give you the scoring and, and the rebounding. And Carl Anthony Towns is more of the person that's going to give you more scoring, right? Give you that big, that big presence in the middle, you know? So, and obviously, you know, there's been history with uh Tibbs and Carl Anthony Towns when he was a younger player with that work and so on and so forth. But I'm just using that as an example. So if you're getting you're giving up two players like that in the deal, then obviously you're getting the, the component together would be the sum would be greater than you know the parts that you're sending away. We'll continue the conversation on the Knicks and Nets next on 987 ESPN. Hello. You play to win the game. 